Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. What you'll find and the research supports is that when you shift the way that you think and ultimately then how you talk to yourself, it leads to more success, less burnout, more happiness um, that resonates to the people around you. Because guess what? When you're that hard on yourself, you're kind of hard. You typically tend to be harder on the people around you, on your children. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Chris here, and today I am back with another guest interview, and today's guest interview was really special, not just because today's guest is an expert in the topic of feeling good, but because she was actually the author of one of our Healthy Balanced Mama book club choices in the last couple of months, so I guess it was two months ago, we are on a book club break right now, but we have a healthy balance book club that goes along with the podcast that we will be bringing back again in the fall. And the feel good effect, our guest today's book was one of our choices and all of us loved it, myself included. And I just absolutely love Robin's perspective on small shifts creating big change. This is definitely in alignment with everything I share when it comes to balance and And we talked a lot in this episode about the striving mindset, which she describes in her book and her podcast. 
And we talked about how things like perfectionism and comparison and the all or nothing mentality can really set us up to not actually creating the habits that we want to in order to live a life of true wellness, a life that feels really good for us in in every area. So this can be with our food and our fitness or our relationships and in every area of our life. So we had an incredible conversation about the this concept of moving away from this striving and perfectionistic mindset to one of feeling good and really focusing on mindset before we even get into the different methods to make habits stick in the long term. Because we're not about just getting quick results, right? And this and she's all about that and I'm all about it's not about the quick results. It is about creating changes for good that are going to create a life well lived. And so I just had such a fantastic time talking with her. She taught me several things, even though I've already read the book and listened to her podcast before. I learned so much and she even called me out on a couple areas where I was still experiencing and and sharing that striving mindset and I loved that and I love that now I have some actionable things to work on in the future or really to start working on right now. Um, So I was so grateful for our conversation today and I know that you guys are going to get so much out of this conversation. So for those of you who don't yet know her, Robin Conley Downs is a speaker, educator, entrepreneur, podcaster, and the author of The Feel Good Effect, Reclaim Your Wellness by Creating Small Shifts That Create Big Change. Holding a master's degree in education with an emphasis in behavior change and four years of public policy and health change at the doctoral level, her work taps into cutting-edge science around psychology, neuroscience, mindfulness, and habits. Recently named one of the most influential women in wellness, she believes that small shifts in thinking and action create big change in life. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, Andrew, and their daughter, Elle. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Robin. Welcome, Robin. I am so excited to have you on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to dig into our conversation today. Before we started recording, I was sharing with you how much I loved your book, and we actually featured your book in one of our Healthy Balance Mama book clubs uh, last, not last month, but the month before. Um, and I know that it it was so, it's such a refreshing perspective on wellness. And so I'm excited to dive into that today. Um, but I have a fun little icebreaker I love to start out with. And so I would love to know what you are reading these days, Robin. Let's see. I just read, I do a lot of nonfiction reading mm-hmm. um, for the podcast in my own research. So I just got um, Morgan Harper Nichols' new book, which is, she's a poet and her book mm-hmm. is called How Far You Have Come. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Love her work. And then I just got um, Dr. Kristen Neff, who is a self-compassion researcher. Her new book is coming out, um, likely will be out when this this podcast comes out. And it's about um, self-compassion and sort of the difference between fierce action and fierce acceptance. So I'm really, I loved both of those. They're a little more heavier lift, I would say, like for the brain, but that's that's definitely what I'm, what's on my shelf right now. Mm, oh, that sounds incredible. I read her first book and I would love to read that. That sounds that sounds incredible. So 
That is awesome. I love this question because I get so many good new books to add to my <laughs> own bookshelf <laughs> or reminders of, uh, of books I might've heard about in the past. And I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to either pick that up or, or I need to find a new author. So I love that. So for listeners, I'm sure many of my listeners are already familiar with your work, but for any of them who might not yet know you and your work, I already shared your bio, but I would love to just have you share what you're passionate about bringing to the world. Well, I'm Robin Conley Downs. Uh, I love to bring a little habit magic into your life. So we do habits for health and happiness and uh, we ground that work in mindset. So how you think affects your actions and your results. So kind of bringing together mindful mindset and mindful habits for a life well-lived and in a really practical, accessible way. I am a mama as well. And I'm just like the most pragmatic, practical person you'll ever meet. And so, so much of the advice when it comes to habits and when it comes to mindfulness and mindset always seemed unattainable to me. And so we wanted to do it in a way that really worked in your real life and made you feel happy, not crappy, um, <laughs> how you were going about your days. So that's really kind of what gets me out of bed every day. Mm, oh my gosh. I love that notion so much. And I'm sure we have so many moms <laughs> nodding along with that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it can feel really overwhelming. Even if we have this desire to make changes, even if we know that we we just, we aren't feeling good and in whatever area that is physically, mentally, whatever it is, we want to make changes, but that just the, I don't know where to start. Give me some steps that are practical is, is huge and not overwhelming as well. Cause it's also easy to go, okay, I'm going to take these 20 steps. I'm going to do them all right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then we, we take them once and then we, we never pick them up again. Right. So, so I was, I was sharing with you too, that I was introduced to your podcast and then your subsequent book uh, last year. And I feel like I'm so late to the game. Um, actually, one of my community members was like, do you listen to her podcast? And I was like, you know, I might've listened to one or two in the past, but I was, I was in a season of just crazy busyness last year. Uh, my husband started a new job and then I had my business and then, you know, homeschool and global pandemic, all of that stuff. And I had been off of podcasts for a little while and I started picking them up again. And I, I, I think I, I shared with you, your book is just such a refreshing take on wellness and your, your podcast is the same, your podcast guests, your solo episodes. And I just, I think our, our messages as well of wellness coming from this place of creating small shifts instead of sweeping changes, they're really aligned. And so I really, really appreciate the work you do. And so I would love if you just shared a little bit of your own story and your own journey. So what brought you to this place, to the book, to the podcast, to, to sharing the habit magic that you share? Well, I started out my early career as a researcher. I did a lot of work around um, applied behavior analysis, so how we make and change behavior at an individual level, um, and then got really interested in policy, so how we make and change behavior at a more um, like institutional level. And so really much uh, interested in research, interested in how we change, interested in how we sustain and maintain those changes. Um, and then you got really into mindfulness. So always learning, always researching. But then in my own life, um, I was doing a lot. <laughs> I was working 60 hours a week and I was in school full time. And then I had some health struggles. I had some miscarriages. Um, I had infertility. And then I had a baby. Um, and 
the sort of health struggles plus difficult pregnancy plus new mom plus going back to work and 60 hour week job. And then I was in my doctoral program. I had this like breaking point where I realized that I had all of these balls in the air, but I wasn't even a ball. Mm. And I think people relate to that, right? It's like, wait a minute, when did I forget to be a ball? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I knew all these things, but I wasn't doing them. And I think that's really relatable too. I think a lot of people I work with will say, you know, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. Mm -hmm. So my big question was like, why aren't we doing it? You know, if we know it, why, why is it not happening? And I think there's a lot of shame, blame and judgment that happens in between I know this, but I'm not doing it. And I really wanted to understand, you know, is it really our fault? And should we be beating ourselves up about this? Or is it something else? And that was taking the research and really asking that question. What about what does it really mean to be healthy? And if we know what to do, why aren't we doing it? And then in the pursuit of wellness, is that making us feel well? And Mm. what I came to is really that our intentions are good our knowledge is usually okay, if not great about what we quote unquote should do, but there's this gap. And in the gap, it's the approach that is failing us, not the other way. But it's amazing to me, especially for women, how we put the blame on ourselves and say like, well, I don't have willpower. I'm not disciplined. I, um, I just need to get it together. And that's so not the case. And so when we can kind of flip the script and say, well, what if they approach, I'm not the failure, the approach is failing me, then we can kind of go about it with a different um, perspective and then some different tools. So really focusing on how we think and then our actions and our habits, bringing more ease, calm, clarity, joy to the equation. And sometimes that means not doing more, it means doing less. So that's been my life so far. And I keep learning those lessons. So (laughs) the (laughs) pandemic, I got to learn that again. I, I have more health problems now I get to learn it again. So it's an ever evolving, but the solution, the approach what's in the book, like you mentioned is always something I come back to now. Mm, Yes. Yeah. And that's, it's so helpful to feel like you can have that foundation of something that you can come back to because there is this, I think there's this massive societal expectation and, you know, I'm sure it's true for men in ways too, but for women, especially that, well, once you know the thing, you just have to do it, Mm -hmm. but it isn't, like you said, always that easy. And so, so you call this approach, the feel good effect. And so I want to know why the feel-good effect is is different from some of these approaches to wellness, especially ones that might be a little bit more stringent or some of those more overwhelming approaches. And I mean, I've read the book, so I, I kind of know the answer to this, but I would love I would love you to to share with my listeners why why is it different other than you know that it's it's about these smaller shifts instead of these massive <laughs> this massive overhaul. Yeah. So um I should mention that my partner and my spouse, my research partner is a clinical psychologist with a focus on health and behavior change. So when I say we, that's who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of asking this question together, you know, why is the pursuit of wellness making me feel worse? And even when I get quote unquote results, I still feel bad. Um, what is that all about? So we did a lot of research and what we came up with was this, what we call the striving mindset and you kind of called it stringent, uh, mm-hmm. kind of in that same ballpark. And that really what happens is that we apply this way of thinking, perfectionism, all or nothing thinking in comparison. 
And we think that that's going to get us results. Like we think that that's the path to our goals. And like you said, that's usually paid, that path is paved with being more disciplined, having more willpower, working harder, trying harder, doing more in less time. And then when you, when you do more in less time, then you just add more to your plate. That whole striving mentality that we have, it's, it is a very Western approach. It's very prevalent in the U S um, it shows up differently, I think for men and women in general, but um, it results in this complete burnout place. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing is that it can sh- be shifted, but first we have to see it for what it is. So it's like this whole matrix concept, like, oh, <laughs> I see now that striving perfectionism or nothing thinking comparison, that that's not getting me where I want to go at all. And it's an actively unlearning that those, those ways of thinking, um, which can be a little challenging because we think that that's what we have to do. But the transformation that I've seen, you know, from people I work, like my clients, just people who read the book or listen to the podcast is so life-changing that it's really worth taking that step back and saying like, is this serving me? And if not, could I try to learn a different way. Yes. Yeah. I think what the striving mindset resonated with me so much in your book, because this is something that I have experienced myself, especially when it comes to health and wellness and actually in in different iterations in my life. I think it's just my personality type to want to go all in with things. And then I do, and I get into this trap of perfectionism and, you know, you can't just do something well, you have to do it all the way. You have to do it perfect. And so, you know, this led to disordered eating and over-exercising and, and striving my way to what I thought was health and wellness. And then I, to a place of complete and total burnout. But what I realized is once I got past that place and I found this place of balance, which is really kind of the, the root of the work, a lot of the work that I do in the podcast is that that mindset still came out in other areas too. I just sort of transferred it from for a while there. It was you know, my, my physical health. And then it was my work. And then it was striving for per- perfection in other areas. And I think something that I, I realized very deeply is that, you know, I, I, in order to stop the cycle, exactly like you said, you have to kind of recognize the cycle is happening. And just because you stopped it in one area doesn't mean it's not going to show up in other areas. So that, that recognition of this all or nothing mentality, this striving mindset, the perfectionism and, and shifting that is so powerful. And, and like you said, having this, um, I guess this, this new approach to be being able to shift that can help you shift it much easier in those other areas because, and so you hopefully, or me, hopefully, do not uh, fall into that trap again. Your your readers don't fall into that trap again. <laughs> so I, I really, really loved, and probably my favorite overarching thing about your book is that you have both the mindset section and then also the method section. So you start with mindset, and then you start with this good method where you're kind of you, you've shifted your mindset and then you are putting these habits into practice. So I would love if you shared a little bit more about why it's important, why both of these are important. Because I know personally, I've heard, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I've read a lot of books. I am an amateur researcher myself. Like I love to research. I love to learn. I always have a couple books going at a time, usually one I'm reading and one in my ears on Audible. 
And so I'm, I'm oftentimes learning and it sometimes feels like because I'm taking in this information, then like the mindset stuff is done. Like I got the mindset stuff. Just give me the method. So why are they both important? Why did you start with the mindset side of things before you even got into, okay, this is how we shift our habits? No, I'm so glad you asked that question because it was a conflict for me as an author to put both in because Mm -hmm. I could have just done one and made it more of a big think book about how we think and how what striving is and how it affects us and like the alternative, which is the feel good mindset, or I could have done the, the method section and I just couldn't because they go together. And I think that that's often what's missing for us. So we either focus, most of the time we don't focus on mindset, but there are mm-hmm. some people that are a little more focused on, you know, whatever, psychology, neuroscience, mindfulness, and then they forget about the method part or vice versa. So uh, the reason I included it is because you have to have both. And I think that that's why a lot of us haven't had success, even if you um, study habits um, and a lot of the habit. Uh, books out there are really great, but they don't they don't address the mindset piece. So mm-hmm. the method is really about habits and routines, right? So the the actions that we take and the way that we put those actions together, and then the the mindset is how we think, but the thought patterns that we have. So the thing is, our thought patterns impact the habits and and our actions and our routines, mm-hmm. um, and then the actions we take impact how we think. So it's this loop. If you only focus on one, you're missing half and it's going Mm -hmm. to be harder, longer, more difficult to get to the goals or your results that you want. Um, And as you mentioned, a lot of people approach habits and routines systems with the striving mindset. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you wanted to create a new habit around, um, breath work. Like you want to, you said, Oh, I want to focus on more breath work, or I want to add deep breathing into my day every time <laughs> without fail, you'll find that you're pro- generally approaching it with some kind of perfectionism all or nothing or comparison. Now mm-hmm. we know that that's going to make it exponentially more difficult. So you can do all the things, all of the habit hacks and, um, <laughs> Uh, my my puppy just invited himself into the <laughs> to the it's room. Okay. So if you hear <laughs> some jingling, that's what that is. But you can, um, you know, do all of the behavioral science around habits. Um, but if you're approaching it with perfectionism, all or nothing thinking comparison, it's going to be really difficult to sustain and maintain. So most people will come to me and say, Robin, my biggest challenge with habits is consistency. And I say, yeah, that's because of the mindset piece, not because you're not, you know, doing habits, right? So that was kind of a long answer. And if you don't mind, I'm going to pause really quickly and close the door because now you the balanced mom has all kinds of stuff going on in the, in the background. So just give me it's one second. So I've gotten much better about being compassionate with myself when those things happen. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why. And I think it takes a little more openness. And again, that unlearning, because so many people just want to focus on habits. They're like, tell me what to do, or tell me the routine, or tell me what to eat. And I'm like, I will do that. But you'll be back. Because without the way of thinking, you're going to struggle or, and without the systems, you're going to struggle. So let's work on both. Yeah. I think that is just such a freeing thought for me personally, because 
I am the person who I don't struggle with habits if I go at it from this striving mindset, but then I burn myself out. So I, right. for, for myself, it's like, oh yeah, I can do this. The consistency isn't necessarily the problem for me. It's then the subsequent burnout because I go at it too hard. I try too many things at once. And so shifting my, you know, the mindset and my approach has been really powerful for me. But then I know a lot of the women that I've worked with, it is that consistency piece and they beat themselves up over it. And just hearing it's it's not because you know you are incapable of creating habits or consistency in whatever area it's because the you haven't gotten that mindset piece down so mm-hmm. i think that is that's so powerful so and when i say consistency i mean long term consistency yes, so that yeah. That includes my all or nothing thinkers who are really good at doing it every day until they don't do it at all. And so (laughs) it's that there's like different ways that you can come like the combination uh, mindset, like maybe you're more dominant with all or nothing thinking or perfection or whatever comparison, but like the outcome is the same, which (laughs) is eventually you're not doing the things that you know really work and make you feel good in your life. And, and that that's, Exactly like you said, like, let's look at the way that you're thinking about this and how that might actually be the barrier. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to dig into this just a little bit further then. And I know that you go over all of this in your book, but where do we, where do we start? So where does the listener start if they are noticing this striving mindset and they're like, okay, I can definitely recognize the all or nothing thinking or the perfectionism or the comparison or all of it at once. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I know that, I know that you're all about small shifts. And so it can, I think also feel overwhelming to go from this place of recognizing okay, I have this striving mindset, I am recognizing this, to this feel-good mindset that you describe in the book. So that's, like you say in the book, it's centered around self-compassion, what you call the power middle and gratitude. All of those things sound amazing, but getting from point A to point B Mm -hmm. feels like quite the journey. So where, where do you recommend they start? What are those like first steps? Well, you actually said it. So the first step is is noticing. So I have what I call the four P's and the first two are pause, pay attention. So one of the things that I teach and I coach is to create um, pause, pay attention moments in your day. So whether that's actually sending um, alarms on your phone or, or uh, chaining that to something else in your day to start Mm -hmm. to notice how your thinking is affecting your actions. And so you know, it might be fairly obvious. I think for people where all or nothing thinking is dominant, that's a little easier to recognize. For most people, perfection-based thinking is more difficult because they have an idea of what perfectionism is and they don't identify that way. But -hmm. since these aren't personality types, they're just ways of thinking. When you pause and pay attention, you can start to notice what what all or nothing sounds like for you. So I have some examples in the book, but it might sound differently to you. You might notice what perfectionism sounds like to you. So for example, if you pause and pay attention kind of at the end of your workday, what are the thoughts that are going through your head? Is Does that sound like I, I got nothing done today? So mm-hmm. that's like a common that I hear from my overachievers, which is preposterous. Like the people I know who get the most done are the hardest on themselves about <laughs> the like, quote unquote, I got nothing done. So f- for my husband, for example, his perfectionist based thinking sounds like I got nothing done today. 
And I said, well, what you mean by that is you had an impossible list that you made for yourself that was never like humanly impossible. And then you do only got through 80% of that. And now you're beating yourself up for it. Um, that's perfection-based thinking. So really step one, pause, pay attention, start to notice what those thought patterns sound like for you and doing it in a non-judgmental way. So the point here isn't to notice and then beat yourself up for it. It's to say, <laughs> ah, that's that's my mind telling me that I need to be perfect. That's my mind telling me. So all or nothing thinking, you could be um, trying to set up yourself for, for a workout and you think, well, I need to do it for an hour or it doesn't count. So pause, pay attention. Is this all or nothing thinking, you know, is, uh, or you're, you're working out and you're thinking about how pre-pandemic you were way stronger or you were more flexible, pause, pay attention. Is this comparison to myself in the past? Now, none of these are bad. So we always have to say non-judgmental, like we're not here to beat ourselves up about beating ourselves up. We're just noticing. So pause, pay attention, notice what it sounds like. And then we can shift it, which I know is the real question that you want me to answer, but we cannot shift something that we don't see. So this is about turning on the lights so that you notice when it's happening and more you pause and pay attention, the more naturally you'll start to notice it through your, through your day. And you'll notice it in other people too, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. your children or your um, roommates, partner, spouse, friends, and they're not ready for you to start telling them about it, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) but you'll see it in media, you'll see it everywhere. And the cool thing is that there's an antidote to, um, Perfectional or nothing thinking comparison. Like you said, that's the feel good mindset. So that's self compassion, flexible thinking, or power middle and gratitude. So I'm going to pause there because I actually gave you a long answer. It was a prequel to actually answering your question. So I'm going to tell you like what to do next, but does that all sound like it's driving? Oh my gosh. Yes. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm nodding over here because that is something that I think in the past, like past me, Chris, who is not as self-compassionate, um, (laughs) definitely I learned how to recognize it. I think before I got to that place of being able to shift it. And so I really liked that you mentioned that, you know, the first step is the pausing and recognizing when those thoughts are coming up. And I love the, just like setting an alarm on your phone, like reminding yourself to check in with yourself, you know, a couple times a day or once a day, or, or maybe more than that, if you notice these thoughts coming up um, a lot, but then once you notice them coming up, then being able to, to shift them. Cause I think I got to the place where I started noticing the thoughts coming up, but then I sort of felt stuck where I'm like, okay, so then, <laughs> then how do I shift it? Um, I know that I, I am definitely like your husband, the, oh, I got nothing done today. And then when I look back, so what I've started practicing is self-compassion, like, okay, well, it, it was a, it was a busy day. So clearly you got something done today and just going, mm-hmm you know what, you, you did your best. You got as much as you could get done today and you will, you'll move on. You did all the essential things like your humans are alive. You know, everyone is fed, like you're all good. You can move on to it the next day, but that's taken a really long time. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious to dig into, okay. So, so once we're, once we're recognizing this, how do we, how do we start to, to make that shift? Yeah, really good question. And I think we can expedite that process a little bit with a little more like tactical things. So self-compassion is the antidote to perfection-based thinking, 
flexible thinking or power middle is the antidote to all or nothing. This is also in the book in a graphic if it's going by mm-hmm. a little fast. And then um, gratitude is the antidote for um, comparison. And these are all evidence-based research supported um, mindfulness strategies, but you don't have to meditate or have like a specific mindfulness practice for this to work for you. So we actually tried to make it really tactical for the people who aren't going to set aside an hour and like become mindfulness practitioners. So (laughs) there's two ways to go about it. Uh, You can kind of set up a little mini self-compassion practice for yourself every day outside of the moment, and you can meet yourself in the moment. And if you want to kind of supercharge it, I'd recommend both. But if you just want to be like, nope, I just want to have something to do when this comes up, then we can have them some very specific self-compassion practices or gratitude or flexible thinking, depending on the moment. So let's say that you notice that you're saying, I got nothing done today. And you notice that's perfection-based thinking. So compassion is... One, talking to yourself like you would talk to a friend, a pet, or a loved one. What would you say to that person? And actually say it to yourself. And I know that this can get sounding a little woo for some people, but please know that if you are in that skeptical camp, there's hard research to support that not only will this um, make you happier, it will also make you, if you're focused on productivity, it will make you more productive. So we think that beating ourselves up is a solution that is causing you more difficulty in the long run. So you could say, like, what would you say to your partner or your kid? Tell me, Chris, I mean, we're going to do this. We're going <laughs> to workshop this oh out. Oh my gosh. I okay, love so this. your partner comes or me, and we're, we are not that close yet, but I come to you and I said, okay, I had this, I was going to do this, this and this today. And then my daughter just came in and interrupted. And then I had to go pick, do pickup. And then I had a blah, blah, blah. And I didn't get anything done. Like, what would you say to me? I would probably say something similar to what I've been trying to say to myself, which is you probably got more done than you think you did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And did you get the things that were most important done? Yes. Okay. Well then you can, you can pick up your list tomorrow your, your kiddo is important. Your spouse is important, whatever, whatever it is that's popped up. They're important too. It's all important. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not something I, it's not the way I normally talk to myself. (laughs) Right. So actually saying it out loud to yourself sounds really weird and awkward, but if you want to expedite the process of changing your brain and just, you know, you're physically changing the makeup of your brain. The, like the okay. actual shape of your brain will change from this. Um, say it to yourself out loud, or at least write it down and say it in a way that you would talk to a loved one. You know, the way that we talk to our children and our pets is in a very specific style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you really actually learn to start trusting yourself a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I know that if I make a mistake, I'm not going to beat myself up. And imagine that, like we're living with these inner bullies. And I love that the, I feel like the landscape externally is, is changing a little bit. Like this history of abuse and harassment that's been acceptable in our culture is starting to shift, but the big shift also has to be within us, right? Where we know that our boss isn't going to beat us up mentally because we didn't get everything done. 
And then you start to trust yourself a little bit more that you're not going to create, you're not going to face that internal punishment because you didn't get your list done. And I think people think for sure, this is going to be me, make me weak, lazy, a quitter. Um, I'm a realist. I don't have time for this, but what you'll find and the research supports is that when you shift the way that you think and ultimately then how you talk to yourself, it leads to more success, less burnout or happiness um, that resonates to the people around you. Cause guess what? When you're that hard on yourself, you're kind of hard. You typically tend to be harder on the people around you, on your children. And, um, so when I think about my list, another way that you could respond to that is the the kind of self-compassion question is, um, what do I need right now? What's the kindest choice that I can make? And so maybe what I need right now is to reassess. That's that kind action thing that I was talking about. Sometimes it's kind of acceptance, which is what you just said. You know what? I did the best I could. I'm a human. Humans make mistakes. Um Another way to go about that would be kind action. Maybe I had too much on my list. <laughs> Maybe the kind action here is to start really paying attention to every day. If every day I'm not getting my list done, is that a failure, failure of me or is this indicative of my life right now? And if that's the case, maybe I should shorten my list. So the kind action, right? What do I need right now is to re reevaluate how much I'm putting on my plate. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you are speaking to me so much right now. <laughs> I, think <laughs> I am the to-do list that is unrealistic kind of person too. Mm -hmm. And then it does it, it, it sets me up, you're just using myself as an example, but I think a lot of us do that. Yeah. We set ourselves up for this place of beating ourselves up. But if we, if we're noticing that pattern, then we can, we can shift it and we can go, okay, maybe this is these, I'm putting some really unrealistic expectations on myself and, and that's okay. How can I maybe prioritize and, you know, and stop, you know, beating myself up. And so, yeah, you, you do show up as a better version of yourself when you are feeling good internally. And I think sometimes it's hard to, to admit that, that, mm -hmm. you know, oh my gosh, I am so hard on myself. And maybe, maybe this is coming out in other areas as well. And, and I think for moms, especially when we hear that too, I feel like that can be a good motivator for making some shifts on the internal going, oh my gosh, this is, this might be affecting my kids. Yeah. And, and we want them to speak to themselves well, like that too. Yes. We want them to have that positive inner voice. And I know I've got two girls and I want them speaking to themselves kindly in whatever area it is. And, you know, we talk a lot in the podcast here about food and body image struggles. I certainly want them to speak to themselves positively about their bodies and, you know, not beat themselves up over the way they eat or the way they move, but you know, also about their, their to-do lists and, you yes. know, what they're achieving and all of this compounds. And so I, I think that that's really, really powerful. So, and my last example, I know you, I want to get to your other questions and that's my oh, daughter's okay. timer in the background, homeschool timer, <laughs> um, uh, is that sometimes I can get through to people when I talk to them about exactly what you said. Like, if you can't do this for yourself, then maybe start by doing this as an example for your children, because do you want them to be, to grow up in the same trap in their mind of never doing it right, never being living up to impossible standards. 
um, mistake avoidance, fear of failure. Like, is that what you want for them? I don't think, I don't know any parent that really wants that. So could we change the cycle for ourselves? And one simple way to do that is how are you talking about mistakes? And this is something I've been thinking a lot about this last year. So when my daughter makes a mistake, like spills a glass of milk. Now, granted, there are days when I lost, it's like my end of day and I'm like, come on, why? (laughs) And that's how I talk to myself, right? Mm -hmm. But most of the time now, what we've actually changed to is uh, because she was getting really upset about making mistakes. And that's some, some of that's just her. And then some of it is obviously how I've been modeling. So now what we say is like, was that a silly mistake? Mm. And then I challenge her, like, is it so silly that we can laugh about that? And that's age appropriate for her. And so now I'll see her make a mistake and I'll see her want to go to sort of crying or being upset or blaming me like that was your fault or a sibling's fault. But now I see her pause and she'll go, mommy, that was a silly mistake. Mm. And I said, I said, is it funny? She's like, it kind of, it kind of is, you know? And so I'm taking a lot of time on this just because wouldn't our world be an incredibly different and more supportive place if we responded with that kind of kindness. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no accountability for her if she makes a mistake that hurts someone else or herself or is, you know, whatever, unethical, then there's going to be consequence. But just seeing that change in her is mm. such a reminder that like, what if, if she makes a mistake in on her math problem now? She goes, oh, that was a silly mistake rather yeah. than crying about it and mm. move, and then she can move on. So this matters. And I wish we would spend so much more time on, on it for ourselves and for our kids. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm going to I'm I'm going to utilize that with my daughter who I my oldest daughter at least because my youngest is three and we're everything's sort of a silly mistake at this point right. just because of the nature of of being three you know maybe we have the spilt milk or things like that but I know that yeah I definitely seeing some of those patterns in my oldest daughter like myself have I've always been that. I really think that I recognize the striving mindset starting when I was around her age and, you know, Mm -hmm. in school and comparing myself. Oftentimes it's to myself or to the other kids and, you know, living up to this expectation that I either thought people had for me or that I had really made up for myself and Mm -hmm. yeah, always beating myself up over mistakes. And so I love that notion of, is this a silly mistake? And just letting her recognize that and changing that internal dialogue for her. And then also doing that for ourselves. Cause I can, I can name so many areas where, yeah, there has been a mistake and I beat myself up over it when really, if I took a step back, it was, it was on par with spilling a glass of milk. It's just, that was those just a silly mistake. Not, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. And I have an ask her now, do, do daddy and I expect you to be perfect? Mm. No, and she'll say no. I'll say, well, that means that you can spill a glass of milk. Yeah. <laughs> or if she gets something wrong on her paper, it's like, do daddy and I expect you to be perfect? You know, then it's okay. And so I think it's, I don't recognize that in my daughter for sure as well. And I think a lot of it is her. I don't think some of it we taught, some of it's her, but wouldn't it be incredible if we could break that cycle for our kids? Yes. Oh my gosh. 
A hundred percent. I love this so much. And now I can, I'm thinking of all the ways we can, we can shift that. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I love all of this. And I, I love that it is not just, it's making those shifts in ourselves that then also ripples into our, into our kids. And I imagine into our relationships and just throughout our lives. And so we're starting with this mindset then. And then we are starting to shift into this sort of method because we're talking about how we can start to shift our mindset. I would love to kind of dig into some of these methods for when we, so once we've gotten to this point where we can have more of this self-compassion, we can have more of this gratitude. We didn't talk a ton about you know what? Let's let's can we dive in really quick to the power middle cuz I didn't ask a question about this, but I would love for you to explain this a little bit because I really really loved this this notion of the power middle. Could you explain that a little bit? Um and then I think we can dive into to some of the methods. Yeah, and it relates. So Yeah. Uh power middle or flexible thinking is the antidote to all or nothing thinking. And so I always like to say like all or nothing thinking is not bad. Perfection-based thinking is not bad. There's times when that's actually really helpful, but for most of us, it goes from helpful to harmful pretty quickly. So Mm -hmm. we just need to catch it when it's not serving us. Um, Flexible thinking, power middle is really about finding the middle ground, which middle is often used pejoratively, like as if it's, you know, mediocre and middle are Mm -hmm. often used together. And so a great example for most people that that comes up is like around exercise, all or nothing mm-hmm. thinking that it has to be an hour, that it has to be cardio, that it ha- we have a lot of made up rules, mm-hmm. all or nothing rules about exercise. And the amazing thing to me is that usually those rules result in us not doing it at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> right. So my favorite example is my best friend had on her calendar when the p- pandemic started boot camp like an online boot camp. She's now at the time she was working full time. Both kids were at home, like no help. But she still had an hour boot camp on her calendar every day. And she would call me at the end of the week and be like, I didn't, I didn't work out one time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's so interesting. Like, why don't you try not doing an hour boot camp every day? <laughs> because mm-hmm. you haven't done any of them. Why don't you try a 10 minute workout? Mm-hmm. And she said, Well, that doesn't count. And I said, Well, interestingly, what doesn't count is when you do like the actual not counting is that you did nothing this week. Mm -hmm. If you could do 10 minutes every day, you would have done 60 minutes this week. And so that's the power of the power middle is asking, is there something in between? Is there something smaller or shorter that would work just as well. I um, have a saying two out of three. So maybe I miss a day. Can I get the next two? Mm. And so it's all these mental strategies to keep us out of going nothing. Yes. Right. Or going all. I mean, sometimes all is fine, but if the consequence is the, the nothing. So I have a lot of kind of tips and tricks about that. Another one is the five minute rule. So when you find yourself not doing, you're all out, five minutes. Five minutes of working on the project, five minutes of moving your body, and and then noticing what, how, how much resistance we have. Like, oh, five minutes doesn't count. Since when does five minutes? It's five mm. minutes is five minutes. So um, that's a huge one that can be an immediate game changer. And I would argue probably doesn't take quite as much um, 
effort as learning self-compassion, um, mm-hmm. you can immediately start to see a change in your life when you employ those, that way of thinking. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I brought this up because I do think that it, it leads really well into us talking about creating some of those habits and shifts in our lives because yeah, like I mentioned before, it is very easy for me to do, to go all in and then just end up burning out and then doing nothing. And um, I, I see this a lot in a lot of, and a lot of the people that I've worked with in the past mm-hmm. too. And so I, I love that, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour. It can just be 10 minutes. And I really like the, the concept of five minutes and just doing something for five minutes. That sounds really hard to me, which I imagine means the things that sound the hardest to me, (laughs) it's probably going to be the most powerful shift to be able to go like, I can just, I can do five minutes. And, and it does oftentimes I, I, I know that when I start something okay, I can do a few minutes more Then maybe, you know, I, right. I just do, I just do five minutes of, of moving and it's like, okay, I could probably do 10 and then you do 10. And, and also what if you didn't? So yes yeah. to that, but also that's still striving. It's yeah. still like, well, do five, <laughs> true. but really still five still isn't good enough. So I'm it's only doing five okay because I'll probably do, do more. Mm. It's okay to do five. It's okay yeah. to do five. That's and what I need to work on. Yes. <laughs> it's okay to it's just okay do, to do five. five. Yep. Um, and the research physiologically on moving your body is that we do get effects in five minutes. Mm. One of my favorite podcast episodes is on exercise snacking, which is the concept that it's a research. It's based in, in science that um, 60 stairs, not 60 flights, 60 stairs changes your mood and your um, overall health. Mm. So we often don't do that because we think it doesn't count Yeah. or we start to do 60 stairs and that turns into 60 flights. And then we stop doing it two weeks later, mm-hmm. but um, a five minute walk will change your mood. Yes. Yeah. And even five minute walk will um, your, your endocrine system secretes a hormone that scientists call the hope hormone, mm. which is, improving happiness in your mood over time. So like, it's not just five minutes so that you can then add on 10, 20, 30 and get yourself to that hour. (laughs) It's like, and I know people really are resistant to me on that, but it's the same thing. It's like, if you spent five minutes meal planning for a week, you might not plan everything out, but you might get Mm -hmm. one done. And your week will be different with that one, one day done. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. That's, that's what I need to embrace then is the just five minutes, not yes. five minutes to do more. So you can see where this is still coming up for me. <laughs> well, you're not, Chris, you're not alone. I'm like, welcome yeah. to every other human on in, at least in the U S but I'm just like, please let's try. Like I do a five minute wellness break in the afternoon and mm. you know, would it be nice to do an hour? Sure. But I don't, that, that would never work for me. So I just yeah. like to sit there and have a cup of tea and you know, maybe breathe or sit outside. And even that five minute break is like so restorative, but I can't keep adding time to it because then I wouldn't do it anymore. Yes. Yeah. And if you tell yourselves that five minutes doesn't count going back to that, then you wouldn't do it at all and you wouldn't get that break. So Mm -hmm. keeping it to that five minutes makes it something that's doable. So I love that so much. And I, I love the whole concept of the power middle because it does encompass a lot of a lot of struggles I think that people have 
really actually taking action on something because they believe that it doesn't count, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I think it goes, you know, when you're talking about food too, because I talk a lot about food and, you know, I'm a, I'm a health coach, but I'm also, I'm also a chef and I love food. And something that I, I hear from people that I've worked with before is like, well, I just, I can't make all of these like beautiful meals every mm-hmm. single meal. Or, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I can't eat vegetables at every meal. I can't prepare vegetables at every meal. I'm like, but what, what if you just, what if you just prepared them at one meal? If you weren't eating any vegetables before, then you're eating vegetables at one meal and uh-huh. them in a way you love, you know, <laughs> Right. but just one meal is way better than no meals. And it's just the, you know, the, the one, the one step at a time, the one and little bit. Ex- expand on that. Cause we could do a whole episode on all or nothing thinking on food. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To expand on that. I would say that that's like a combination of perfectionism and all or nothing thinking. So mm-hmm. I would say like, well, what if you have pizza for dinner and you have carrot sticks on the side? Mm-hmm. And so what you're telling me is you can't do vegetables, but I, what I think you mean is you can't do like this five part composed vegan bowl that you're seeing mm-hmm. on Instagram. And therefore yes. you're telling me you can't eat vegetables. And I'm like, those two are not the same thing. So I get like a little tough lovey at this point because mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not true that your brain is telling you something that's inaccurate when we can learn a different way. So yes. maybe it's adding just for like the goal is one meal a day. Maybe it's taking the rules off of what you think vegetables have to be. Mm-hmm. So my sister who's queen of iron, I think thinking she had a rule that like, if she didn't make it herself, it didn't count. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, how about you do a meal delivery service? Now, mm-hmm. I know that that's not in the cards for everyone financially. For her, she actually saved money because she wasn't throwing away groceries anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was like she had decided that if she didn't buy it and prep it herself, that didn't count somehow. Mm-hmm. And now she's like eating vegetables all the time because they get delivered to her door. So yeah. I just think that there's so many ways that this can show up where, oh, well, it doesn't count because it's not a raw veggie. And um, I put like spinach in my smoothie. Mm-hmm. Like, where are we coming up with this? It's yeah. so, when you say it out loud, you all can start fake to rules. see, right? And it's like, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, we can eat carrot sticks out of a bag if you want. Well, I yes. know where it comes from. It comes from the wellness perfection circus that is yeah. like social media, but we don't have to, we can reject that. And, mm-hmm. you know, some bagged romaine salad can be just fine. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting as you're saying this, I'm like, that's what I do with my kids. Right. And I've gotten to a place where, you know, that's, it's not hard for me to, you know, add in some veggies if I feel like I'm needing them. And if I don't want them, then I don't have them. And, and, right. and there's a balance there. But, um, you know, that's just something that I naturally do with my kids is just throw them on the side of, you know, we're just going to throw them on the side. And if they eat them, they eat them. If they don't, they don't. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we, we try and keep it easy because, you know, the carrot sticks next to the pizza or, or whatever it is, you know, the, my kids love roasted broccoli. I, I mean, I do too, but I don't know they, they love it. So that's next to the chicken nuggets because it was an, I can't even night. And so that's what we yes. did. And, yes. and they still eat them and they're still eating vegetables and the chicken nuggets don't cancel out the broccoli. <laughs> that's the thing. And, but we think, yeah. oh, well, you know, I ruined it with pizza or chicken nuggets. So no, no, nothing's ruined. Like they're independent variables. Yes. <laughs> Chicken nuggets don't cancel out broccoli or, or I have people that are, won't use, they think frozen vegetables don't count or, you know, I'm like, you know, you could put peas in a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
you can put peas in your soup, you can put lettuce on your sandwich. But it's when you start to see clearly these, I mean, ways of thinking that are false, where you mm-hmm. can start to unpack that. And the power middle is, is there a middle option? Is there a shorter option? Is there an easier option? Where are we telling ourselves this doesn't count? And can we, um, can we diminish and that whole concept that something doesn't count because it's not perfect and organic and hand cut and took us 17 hours to make. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. <laughs> I could keep talking <laughs> to you about, about just these concepts, just the mindset side of things for, for so long, but I, I want to shift a little bit into the method side of things because I'm a sucker for systems and strategies, if mm-hmm. you can't tell, hence a lot of the perfectionism. <laughs> but <laughs> I really like that in the book, you have this result system as being focused on habits, strategies, and mindset, of course. But there are there's two strategies that I, I kind of really want to hone in on if you're willing to kind of share a little bit more about them. And one of them, and I might, I might, might butcher this name, but I'm going to try. <laughs> the one is the idea of optimizing to satisfice, which sounds like a made up word, but it's not, it's a real word. Um, and so you talk about this, how easily and exactly what we've been talking about, right? Striving for balance can turn into perfectionism, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I, I have the healthy balance mama podcast. We talk a lot here about, you know, balance doesn't mean that everything is perfect in every season or in this season, everything is perfect. It's about, you know, moving with the, the ebbs and flows and, um, but your solution to this is to satisfice. So can you explain what the concept of satisfice is and how it can help us to move past this trap of like perfectionism as we are creating habits and creating strategies in our life? Yeah. So satisfice is an actual term that was coined by a Nobel Prize winning economist um, in the 70s. And it is really about decision making. And he was talking about decision making and that in a in a simple world, we can make perfect decisions. And in a complex world, we can make satisfactory decisions. Mm. And it's really as simple as that. But we get stuck on thinking that we can make a perfect decision, even though we live in a complex world. Mm. So even knowing that and like repeating that to yourself or writing it down somewhere (laughs) can really be helpful. So satisfying is making a satisfactory decision. And that is looking at trade-offs. So this is a really tactical thing that you can do if this is something that you struggle with. It's very similar to what we just talked about with the two Mm -hmm. out of three rule or um, power middle. Um, But it's really about analyzing trade-offs and acknowledging that any decision you make has a set of Mm trade-offs. We get stuck thinking that we can make this decision where we can have everything that we want and that's never true. So you can take the power back by looking at what are the trade-offs and what do I care about most? What aligns with how I want to feel and what my values are? Um, So the example I give in in the book is about, uh, I went back to work and my daughter was in daycare and I was um, full-time breastfeeding at the time. And so I was pumping and I had really low milk supply. So I was pumping, no lie, I was pumping four hours a day at work. So basically like all day I was pumping in meetings. I was pumping at lunch. I I mean, it was like 
when I say it now, it sounds really like obvious that that wasn't a good choice, but I got so stuck in this idea that I could have it all right. Mm -hmm. That I could exclusively breastfeed. It wasn't going to use formula and we we're not going to go into all the debates around this. (laughs) This was just what I had in my mind. Like I wanted to, even though she was in daycare, I still wanted to make sure she was breastfed, but I also wanted to be at work, but it was making me miserable. So eventually (laughs) The satisficing was saying, what are the trade-offs if I do all in? If I keep trying to do all exclusive breastfeeding, what are the trade-offs? Okay, well, they're pumping for four hours. I have to spend, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a night cleaning everything and then getting it back. Blah, blah, blah. What are the what are the trade-offs if I just stop altogether and I go all formula? You know, what are the trade-offs there? And what about? <laughs> If I did something in the middle where like, mm-hmm. maybe we go to far- formula for two feedings at daycare a day, and then I go to breastfeeding in the morning at night. Mm-hmm. Being able to see that was like mind blowing to me. Yeah. Because I realized, well, first of all, there's an option in the middle. Mm-hmm. But second of all, maybe I choose the all in or the all out. But I acknowledge by choosing to do this one option here's what I'm giving up. Or if I go the other way by choosing to do this option, here's what I'm getting up. What do I care about? What are my values? How do I want to feel? How does this affect the people around me? Make a decision and move forward. I love that so much. And I know I keep saying this, you know, everything you you share, I'm like, (laughs) I love that because I I do. And I think because I am probably like the, the perfect reader for your book, because I'm like, I need all of this. And even though a lot of it are things that I've kind of started to work through over the years, I think that we can all use these, you know, seemingly simple truths that I think that we are just, we're not applying in our lives and just recognizing that there is going, there is a satisfactory decision and that it can be any of those. It can Mm. be the all in this way. It can be the all out that way, or it can be the in the middle. But like you said, it's recognizing and really weighing those options. I think my husband is much better at that than I am. Um, And he tends to be my, my middle ground oftentimes when we have a decision like that, trying to figure Mm. out um, and we were even doing this the other day with trying to figure out he's a professional sailor. So his uh, schedule gets crazy in the summertime. And so it's basically me solo with the kids all summer long. And we we're trying to decide what we were going to do about our daughter's daycare. And, and I was like, well, we just pull her out for the whole summer. Cause my, my oldest daughter isn't going to be in school. We're not going to be homeschooling anymore. And I was like, well, we'll just pull her out for the whole summer and you know, I'll have both of them at home and it'll be fine. And he's like, but will it be fine? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes it kind of difficult to, you know, do my my podcast interviews and, you know, all these things. And, um, and she loved, he's like, and she loves being with her friends. And I was like, that's true. That wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily work for her either because she's gotten used to it and she loves being with friends. So anyway, we went through and, you know, so I was like, well, we either pull her out or we keep it exactly the same, which also wasn't going to work. And he's like, let's talk about what maybe she goes half days a couple times a week instead. And so we went through and for us, we chose kind of a middle ground area that worked for both of us, but I really needed him to be there to go like, okay, there is an actual, there is a middle there. Cause to me, it was either, it was that black and white. It was either like, she's all in and we change nothing and then it's crazy or she's all out. And so, um, I, I guess he, he uses that, I think more than I do. <laughs> yeah. And it works so well that you kind of yeah. get better and faster at doing it. And then you can see that like, no way is 
quote unquote, good or bad. Like Mm -hmm. it's really what set of trade-offs works best for you right now. So that middle option for you right now is probably going to be kind of the best possible set of trade-offs. It's never going to be perfect, but it really gives you that sense. Like you're not missing something by holding out for this perfect scenario that doesn't exist. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think it reminds me of, you know, your friend with the hour long boot camps too. going back to that too, going, you know, when it comes to movement, something that's different for me in the summertime too, because, you know, things are just a little bit crazier. And so it's like, okay, so what, what would feel good? What is the middle ground that, or, you know, which, which way really works and which way feels good and making that decision from that, from the place of kind of weighing all of your options and choosing the one that's satisfactory. I love that. Um, so, so when we're talking about decisions, the other thing that I would love to just kind of briefly touch on, um, because I want to honor your time too. And like I said, I could just, I could just have a a three hour (laughs) conversation with you about all of this because I, I love it. Um, but I love that you talk about the decision diet. And so we know that we're not about the diet life when it comes to food around here, but (laughs) how is the decision diet different than what we might, we might think of as like a food diet? How can it transform the way we approach our wellness when we have a decision diet? Yeah. So I, I debated using the word diet, but I kind of like it in this context. Mm-hmm. I um, do not teach diet either, <laughs> but it's really a way to reduce decision fatigue. So we make thousands of decisions a day. Most of them are unconscious. We don't even notice them. The average person makes over 267 decisions, just about food in a day. And that's not a, even a caregiver mom, right? Like we make even more than that. So when you're making that many decisions in a day, it results in uh, fatigue. <laughs> we all know about that, but also reduces our willpower. And this is right out of the research that our willpower is like a battery. It drains. One of the drains on it is decisions. So the natural like evolution of that is to say, let's reduce the number of decisions we have to make in a day. And the way to do that is through a, a decision to diet. So rather than restricting food, we're restricting decisions, which is a much, if I'm going to restrict anything, that's where we're going to go. So it's really about finding the places in your day where you are making hundreds, if not thousands of decisions and holding at least one variable constant. So the one a decision diet that most people are are familiar with is like the capsule wardrobe where you you decide ahead of time these are the items in my closet they go together and then the the variable you've held constant is um the the decision about how things go together you've already made that and it frees up that mental energy but you can apply that to anything so one of my examples is Um, a decision diet about meal planning and I call it meal mapping or like capsule meal planning where you could have a different, you could just decide ahead of time that on Monday, on Tuesdays, you have taco Tuesday. Um, You could do this for every day of the week, which would allow you to have um, variation, right? But you would still have one one constant set. So I often teach people around um, decision diet for meals, if they want to like learn capsule meal planning to just literally pick one night a week to start that five minute rule. (laughs) You don't have to start with seven nights, pick one night, make that either a meal type, or you could make it a cooking vessel. So like, let's say that's crock pot night, 
or you could assign a family member that night. So there's lots of ways to do it, but you amazing how wonderful it is to wake up on a Tuesday and know what's for dinner and your family knows what's for dinner. And when you go to the grocery store, you're not thinking, if you think about a matrix, when you're trying to meal plan, you're thinking about not only a million infinite possibilities for recipes, and then all the ingredients. Now you're holding that top, that top variable constant, which is, I know it's tacos. So when you're grocery shopping, you're just thinking, what kind of tacos are we going to have? I like that a lot. I love talking about meal planning, um, but that's the number one thing when I talk about meal planning is that it's just so overwhelming and it's, it's reducing the amount of the amount of decisions. I love that so much. It's funny because my, my daughter's we don't do Taco Tuesday every single week, but it's such a good example for us because when it is Tuesday, now that she, my oldest at least, recognizes that it's Tuesday, she'll go, it's taco night, right? I'm like, no, tonight we're not doing tacos. She's like, but it's Tuesday. <laughs> How easy would it be to just have Taco Tuesday every single Tuesday? And I, I'm a recipe developer, so not every Tuesday is Taco Tuesday, just right. the nature of my job. We do a lot of Taco Tuesdays, but I think I can imagine, you know, especially as we get back into the back to school season for those who have kids in school or activities or all of that stuff seems to be starting to pick up a little bit more mm-hmm. this, you know, this year now, hopefully, you know, as things start to even out a little bit. And I think that things are going to get busier and we're going to want, we're going to want to reduce some of those decisions around mealtime and, and other areas too. And yeah, the capsule wardrobe is, is another one of those areas where I tried to, I've tried to do that in the past, but I haven't really committed to it, but I can imagine how much easier I just have a pared down wardrobe. And, um, I imagine doing that with meals is really, is really helpful in that way too. I think we, we kind of do that. We kind of have a decision diet for breakfast and Mm -hmm. it's, we, the kids get two options Yes, Mm -hmm. and then we have a backup, like the backup is, and it's two options for the week. That's not two options that are different every single day. We, it's like, this is what you can have, you know, yogurt and granola, or you can have, you know, toast and eggs or whatever it is, you know, that week. And we always have stuff for smoothies on hand because, you know, we got frozen, we have frozen veggies and or frozen veggies. Well, I guess we could do frozen veggies, but frozen berries we always have in the freezer and we always have a couple things. So it's like, okay, if you really don't want either of those that we can throw together a quick smoothie, but otherwise it's like A or B, this is what we get this week. And they're fine with it because at this point they understand. And then I don't feel like a short order cook because I, I lived that life before and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be a short order cook for my kids. I yep. just want them to be fed in the morning. So yes. I really- decision diet for your, I have an episode just on doing a decision diet for lunch, breakfast and lunch. Yeah, And so for the clients of mine that have trouble eating meals, mm-hmm. whether they get too busy or they, for, you know, picking off kids plates or skipping lunches, I'm like, you need to pick one to three breakfasts, one to three lunches. And we do exactly the same thing Two with a backup. So the backup, you always have those ingredients on hand all the time, no matter what. Yes. And then the other two are things you like to eat, number one, mm-hmm. but that you can make sure you have the ingredients on hand. And it's so freeing for people because I think they think, well, I have you, have you've ever bought a meal plan or a cookbook with meal plans in them? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is preposterous. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody eats like this. And so it's this freeing sense of like, I don't have to eat something different every day. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you get joy in that, or Chris, you're a recipe developer, like obviously this is an you don't need it though. If this is mm-hmm. for you, if if this is a 
daily struggle if everyday dinner is a chore. Yes. And I always remind people though, you can, even with the Taco Tuesday example, once you have to know that you're having Taco Tuesday, it actually, I find for people, allows them more creativity because they can think about, do I want to have creativity? Maybe not. We're always going to have the same, but maybe we want to. Let's look at some different tacos. There's like literally 2 million taco recipes on the internet. (laughs) So a lot of times we will do like a vegan taco and then we'll do like a, you know, bean, refried bean taco, and then we'll do a beef taco. So Mm -hmm. those meals feel very different, but they're still the same um, components and the same kind of, uh, I don't have to think about what dinner is. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that you can start with just the one meal too. So maybe it is just the taco Tuesday or spaghetti Thursday or something like that. Just start Mm -hmm. with the one and then you know that one day every week and then you might want to add on to it. And then, you know, this other night's crockpot night, but starting with just that one. And um, I think that kind of brings us back full circle, right? To like, it's just about those small shifts and Mm then, and uh, we can make some, some big changes, um, but you know, not those drastic overhauls, right? <laughs> but it ends up being a big change. I mean, yes, it's like a yeah. transformed life when you mm-hmm. aren't beating yourself up and you're not all or nothing and you have these systems in place. Like it's a completely different experience without mm. changing everything all at once. Yes. It feels so much more peaceful. <laughs> I always say radically simple and ridiculously doable. That's the goal. Yes. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then I think you basically just answered this, but do you have any final words of wisdom that you want to share with the woman listening who maybe like myself has been stuck in this place of striving and just really wants to live this feel good life, this life of more ease? Um, What would you say to her? It's how I ended the book, which is uh, I've been married for almost 20 years and we wrote our own vows and the vows are um, I've only one life and it's only so long and I choose to spend it with you. And so I adapted that for the book, which is you have only one life and it's only so long and I hope you choose to spend it feeling good. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a lot of circumstances out of our control, but there's also a lot of circumstances in our control. and we have only a set number of days. And I often think about all these women who are, those days are filled with feeling like they're not enough and haven't done enough. And that is a, I think it just a tragedy of epic proportion and just a immense waste of human potential. So if we could reclaim our days and focus on how we feel and that kind kind of power middle approach on doing things with ease, um, not more, but what matters, how that could change our days. And even the thinking about being stuck, like I think that's relevant right now, right? The concept of languishing in this last year, but like even, even reframing stuck through a compassionate lens and saying like, Hey, this has been really hard. You know, this is the hardest thing that anyone alive has been through over, over that time, right? Like that extended period of time, this has been harder than we could even really accept right now. There's a reason that we feel the way we feel, but that doesn't mean we're stuck. It just means that's where we're starting today. And um, 
it's never too late. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's the perfect the perfect way to, to end our conversation today. So I have three fun little rapid fire questions, but before we get to those and then we really wrap up, where can my listeners connect with you, find your book, find the work you do, your podcast? Yeah, the book is called The Feel Good Effect, anywhere books are sold. And the podcast is called The Feel Good Effect. So you can type that into any app you're listening on. We talk about very similar things, very tactical um, and then you can find me at realfoodwholelife.com. We have over 500 <laughs> recipes and meal maps for mm-hmm. you, um, articles on, on mindful habits. And then so I'm on Instagram at realfoodwholelife as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I have three fun little questions and they're super simple. The first one, because I am a chef and I love talking about food and sharing food in a way that's joyful. And I know that you like to cook too. So what have you been loving to cook lately? Well, I'm in recipe development mode for fall. So uh, lots of Instant Pot and Crock-Pot. But I would say like the thing bringing me joy right now is um, sandwiches. I feel like sandwiches Mm. like went out of style in the low carb moment. (laughs) And I do right now I am doing gluten and dairy free for, uh, I have endometriosis. So that's been kind of helping, Mm -hmm. but I have this really good gluten-free bread and then Kite Hill dairy-free cream cheese. So I do the bread, the cream cheese, avocado sprouts, tomato, cucumber, maybe some pesto if I have it, tomato, lettuce. It's so good. And I just so good. (laughs) And I just like feel like a rebel because I'm like sandwiches. (laughs) And so many people message me. They're like, oh my God, I forgot about sandwiches. I mean, sandwiches are awesome. (laughs) That's my decision diet. And I just feel happy to eat that sandwich every day. Oh my gosh. I love that. So, well, my next question was going to be, what have you been loving to eat? It can be sandwiches or it can be something else. (laughs) Uh, What else? I feel like there's something else that I've been loving. That's, I've been really loving eating that sandwich. And (laughs) I just like summer though, because it's so simple. So we've been working Mm -hmm. on a meal map decision template for summer eating. And it's like really just all about, I do, I love veggies. So I'm Mm -hmm. all about just like fresh summer vegetables in any way I can get them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I am too. I love the fresh flavors and I'm so excited. It's just starting to get warm here. So anything tomato basil, I I'm Mm, like, yes, I have a pulled chicken, like balsamic tomato basil recipe on the site that does really well in the summer. So probably that I'd say that one. That sounds delicious. (laughs) (laughs) So my last and final question, because it is the healthy balanced mama podcast, what does balance look like to you in this season? Hmm. I always tell people like what balance means to me doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) because the real question is like, what does it mean to you? And if we, if we can't, if we are asking that question, then that's what matters. So Mm. I always just think about, um, am I living in alignment? I always, I start with like, how do I want to feel? And then how does that align with my values? And and it's the way that I'm spending my time aligning with how I want to feel in my values in, in an imperfect, flexible way. So, um, usually that means taking care of myself, my health, and then doing a few things that really matter each day. Mm. Oh, I love that. And it's exactly you practicing what you preach, right? These just doing these simple things that align with your values and help you to feel good. So, 
Oh my gosh, Robin, thank you so much for being on. This was absolutely incredible. I know this is going to be so helpful for the women listening. I know it was for me and, um, you know, I, you know, I read your book. I love it. And I'm like, okay, I'm still, I have this list of things that I'm going to implement now too. So, but just one at a time, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, I know that is, that is, (laughs) that's going to be the biggest struggle. One thing at a time. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.